Thank you. Okay, but let's go back and let's go ahead and look at our first letter to Corinthians by Paul so far in this letter. What we have seen is we've seen the problem. Paul has mentioned the problem within the church, which is the division, right? And against that problem, Paul lays out the foundation first. The foundation that he lays is very much the Sunday school answer, which is? Jesus. Jesus, the cross, Holy Spirit, Spirit, the power of God, right? He says the wisdom of God is in the cross and it's through the Spirit, that is pretty much the sum of everything that we've talked about and Paul has mentioned. What he's doing is he's laying out the foundation before he's actually start talking to them about their problem. So, on these verses we have, the passage we have from chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, the two sides of coins on this one, one deals with Corinthians directly. Paul is talking to them directly. The other side, he's talking about him and other Apostles, you know, namely Apollos. So, we can deal with two issues, and it'll take like an hour and a half. So, I'm going to divide it in half, and we'll deal with the one side of the coin today, and uh, luckily for you, and we'll deal with the other one uh, and the next time when we tackle this one. So, that's what we're going to do today. So, what we learned last time, about everything that Paul has mentioned, and we talked about the Trinity. Paul has presented to us really an interesting and easy way to understand what Trinity is. If we understand Trinity, God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus, and three, it's hard to understand three, one, and the way that Paul has experienced, it's just like us, because we are created in God's image. We have ourself, who we are, me, I'm Dan, but I also have a mind. I can only understand my mind. But not only do I have mind, I also have my spirit. And sometimes, and you can tell this, sometimes they don't all work together, Right? They don't all work together. Sometimes that's why there are words like the mind over matter. Like, you want to do it, your body can, or your, your, your body does what your mind doesn't desire. Sometimes you have an unintended result of things happening. Right? People do things they never wanted to do. I didn't mean to do it, but I did it. Your mind or your body overcame your spirit, what wasn't your desired spirit of it, right? So, we have these three parts, and God is like that. There's the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God. We, unlike God, don't all work together, right? But we talked about when Paul said, when Holy Spirit is in you, and we see that throughout this chapter in a lot of Paul's letters, is that our spirit is replaced by God's spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. And from that on, it transforms our mind, and it transforms our body. So it slowly allows us to be changed because of having Holy Spirit. And But Paul, Paul states that it first starts with Holy Spirit teaching us the main thing that matters the most, which is the cross. So another thing that Paul is saying in all, on this, all of this is that there are two types of people, right? There is unspiritual people and there's a spiritual people. Those who are unspiritual... And the, the Greek word that Paul uses here is psychikos. Psych, as you guys know, like psychology, which means your you know thinking, your soul. So kos or kois in Greek refers to that word to be like, like. So ish is the our common language now. So it's like soul ish, our mind ish, our we're not spiritual, we're unspiritual in a way that we're soulish. Which means we're led and directed by whatever our hearts desire. 
That is being unspiritual. Spiritual, on the other hand, in Greek word is pneumatikos. Pneuma is spirit. Basically, it means directed and led by the spirit and spirit of God. Right? So, it's not in the absolute term. I'm completely directed by spirit, but I'm growing into being directed and led by the spirit. So, all of this, Paul sums up saying that this is the spirit is important because Spirit starts us off by teaching us about the cross. The depth of God, and depth of God is the cross. And we know God the best at the cross. We know God the most at the cross. So what we know then is, if you don't get the cross, the salvation of Jesus on the cross, then you don't have the Spirit. Right? You don't have the spirit. And some people are afraid to say this. Some people, oh, I'm not really going to call you not Christian or not know the cross. But some are true. Some of us, some people, been through the churches and been around, but they don't get the cross. It means very little. It means nothing to them. Because they don't have the spirit. But if you get the cross, somewhat, at least part of it, and it has affected you, then you have the spirit of God. And because you have the spirit of God... Inside you, it's strange, because there's always fight going on within you. There's a collision going on, because you desire one thing, you're doing something, but your heart desires, your spirit desires something else, and you struggle with it, because there is a spirit in you. Because you come to know the cross. So, another part that we learned, that we learned that God initiates, we respond, and the spirit helps. So, knowing all of that, our response is what? Our response is asking God to help me understand, give me the gifts of the Spirit. Some of us need to say that prayer. Some of us says that prayer. But I think it's more like, help me receive gift of Spirit. Because if you look at the Corinthian church, Paul has mentioned it earlier that they are, in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind. God's gift of Spirit is there. Like I said, God initiated but it's the matter of do we respond by receiving it. Obviously, the people in Corinthians have not. Some have. Some have not. Right? So they have not. So, or some of us, our prayer is, help me know more about the cross. Because there's a struggle going on inside of us. We know there's a spirit in, of God in us, but my life hasn't transformed. I'm just struggling. It's more of me than God. So what do I do? So Paul, in overall, and I, if you look at the newsletter, I mentioned the presidential campaign in eight, nine, 2002. Were you guys alive? Three years old? Four years old? 2002? 2002? Yeah. Oh, 1992. Oh, 1992. Yeah. Were you alive? Yeah. Okay, when you're okay. 92. I was in, I was graduating high school. <laughs> so, 92, um, there was a campaign, and it was against George Bush, not the W. George Bush, who actually had a pretty good you know, uh, presidency, and he was against uh, Bill Clinton. And, but what really mattered was our economy fell through dur during those years, especially because of the Gulf War. right? And Clinton came out with the slogan, it's about economy, stupid. It was brilliant, because in every conversation you would have with anybody, you can walk away saying, it's the economy, stupid. It doesn't matter, all these other issues, it's the economy. So he had people convinced that that's what matters the most, and unless you can bring answers to that, you, you know, none, none of it matters. 
So Paul, in a way, is saying that same thing. For two chapters, you know, he's been yelling, it's the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. That's what he's been saying. And like Corinthians, some of us don't get it. Say, well, we heard about the cross. Whatever, it doesn't really matter much to us, to me. We don't get it. Some of us get it, right? But we all need more of it, is what Paul is referring. So, my hope, and that's the introduction, my hope is that as we go through this today, and it's actually going to be shorter than the usual, my hope is that all of us are able to reflect on where we are spiritually. Do I have the God Spirit in us? And reflect on that and, and figure out what's needed and how to get there, where to go from here. From where I am now, where do I go from here? How do I get to where I want to, where I want to go? And that's what I hope for us. Let me uh, pray and we'll go ahead and read our text. Father, it's a message that we've heard over and over. We all know about the cross. But we pray that this message will pierce through our hearts. And it means something different. And we'll search for you. I pray that my words and the meditation of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable to you, guided by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and read together. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 17. I'll read one verse, and you read the next. If you don't have it, look it together with a neighbor. There's an extra one right there. And share. Here we go, verse 1. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as a spiritual people, but rather as a people of the flesh, as an infants in Christ. For you are still of the flesh, for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving according to human incline, inclination? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, and the Lord assigned to each. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on it. Each of us choose the parent how to build on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. The work of each builder will become visible. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. The builder will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The word of the Lord. You can see it packs a lot of stuff in here, and some of the verses you've heard over and over, some of it really been used out of context. Uh, something we can talk about next week. And you can see next week deals a lot with the leadership. 
what are leaders to you, what should leaders be like, what does it mean for us as a community to come together with the leaders. We'll talk about that next week. But first, today, we're focused with Corinthians, and in relation to Corinthians, us. So you look at verse 1 and 2, it says, And so, brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as a spiritual people, but rather as a people of flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready. What we're seeing is that Paul is done being gentle. Um, he's being done gentle. He's actually, he was talking of them, about them, as like general people of group. Now, he's talking at them. Right? And he's done being gentle. He calls them babies. That's not being nice. That's not being gentle. He's saying, oh, you bunch of babies. You know, even now today we hear it, it doesn't make us feel good. If I would tell you, oh, you're just a bunch of kids, it doesn't make you feel good, right? He's calling us immature. That's what he's calling, but it has even greater uh, than that, because in this Greek society, the philosophers, the teachers would call their students, mocking the students, oh, you're just babies, you can't understand what I'm talking about. So, you're looking at these Corinthians who wants to, who pride themselves as being wise and knowing all this philosophy and logic and all of that, Paul is calling them babies. It's the biggest insert, insult you can have on people. It's like, you know, in like San Francisco, all the hipsters, you know, they all dress and they all try to be cool, wear the type of shirts, work in the startups, you know, try to learn about networking. <laughs> uh, you have tight jeans and, you know... <laughs> You're doing all these things and you're young out of college and you're looking cool, you want to look successful and you got somebody who's calling, oh, you guys are a bunch of just immature babies and losers. It's, it's, you know, that's what Paul is saying to these people who's just really trying to be the best in the society. And at that time, it was all, all about wisdom and philosophy and all of that. So they think highly of themselves, but Paul is talking them down. So you are just a bunch of babies. The question is Why? What's his measuring stick? By what measurement is he calling them? So you see that in verse 3 and 4, For you are still of the flesh, for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh, and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Paulus, are you not merely human? So he's not calling them, not because of any, you know, they haven't passed basic knowledge. It's not an intellectual issue that he's referring to. It's not, he's not saying they're babies because they haven't passed the Bible quiz. It's not because they you know, haven't gone through the proper classes and you know proper things of theology. It's because of their jealousy and strife. Strife here is fighting. It's the actual word of fighting, war. So Paul begins to point out, and he will continue on this chapter, they're lacking in love. Strife and jealousy is opposite of love. And he'll come to full explanation of what love is, as all of you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which he talks about love to them, right? So, these four verses here have caused some problems for the church. <laughs> and there's been a lot of, you know, dis you know, dispute over what this means. And one example is Campus Crusaders uh, have come up with this thing called Three Circles. Some of you know, would you crew? Are you the crew? Your crew, right? So what, you know the three circles, right? Continue. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the three? Okay, I'm maybe you don't. Yeah. Well, they came up with this three thing they call three circles based on these verses. And what they're saying is there's three types of people. 
One is natural, which is non-Christians. The other one is spiritual people, who are Christians. And the other one, third one, is uh, carnal Christians. They're Christian, but they're not. They're still living in the flesh, just like what Paul is talking about. So they level two different types of Christians. So some people are offended by this. They say, oh, there shouldn't really be Christian elitism, you know. Um, there shouldn't be levels and ranks between Christians. Um, some argue that when you look at it in context, Paul is simply talking about how they're divided and, you know, um, about their different levels of maturity, which is clearly wrong. When you're looking at the context, Paul is talking about the maturity, and Paul is talking about the different levels of maturity about Corinthians. So, Paul is talking about maturity among Christians, and he has been talking about the maturity among Christians from the previous chapter. And maturity, as most of you know, because we went through this in the retreat, is not having levels, right? It's not having division. What is maturity? There's no... um, Said, you know, it's not that because you're young, you're better, you're worse than the older. What is maturity? It's a natural process, right? I can't say that I'm better than my daughter because I'm older. I just grew, right? Maturity doesn't refer to separation, division, elitism, or, or uh, different levels. So, because elitism and levels divide, which is precisely against what Paul is talking about here. They're natural growth. But what he's talking about is when the growth is stunned, which is unnatural, right? And, you you know, it's okay when you see a baby, you know, pooping in their diaper and, you know, just um, puking or the food out. Yeah, it's, oh, she puked, you know, pooping out the milk. It's cute. <laughs> if they're your own kid, it's cute, right? It's kind of cute, Oh, you know? If your parents you say, oh, it's cute, right? That's okay. One year, one month old baby, three month old, it's cute. But when you see like 30 year old person like puke, that's not cute anymore, right? <laughs> when you see like 30 year old man poops in their pants and it's not cute anymore, right? Because you are supposed to grow. And when your growth is stunned, it's unnatural. It's it's not good. So the question is, what Paul is referring to is, who are these fleshly, carnal, mere men, Corinthians? And people argue within the church, and the question is, are they even Christians? Some argue, yes, because Paul calls them brothers. Say, oh, no, no, Paul called them brothers. They must be Christian. But, you know, he calls everybody brothers. When you look at his letters, anyone who's not really you know, enemies of God, he calls everyone brothers. So that's not really you know, the, any indication that they're Christians. I hate that calling brother thing in church. Like, Brother Dan, Brother Ben. Huh? I don't like it. I blame Paul for it. Um, and you know, Paul never said they're Christians. He just called them brothers. So that's not good enough. Some argue in reference to chapter 1, verse 6, and other verses that you know they have there, there is a spirit being offered to them and they have a spiritual gift so they must be Christians. An argument against that, my argument against that is number one, he doesn't refer all, even though he tells to all of Corinthians, right? He doesn't refer all of them just because I walk in here and tell you, oh, you're all you, you know, you're all a bunch of pigs because you're messy, right? 
I, I may be directing that to some of you, but not all of you, right? You can like look around. No, I'm I'm pretty neat. I'm, he's not referring to me, right? You know, I don't. I may talk to all of you, but it doesn't refer to all of you, right? I can't say. You know, this is a good one. Like when someone walks in and he, something was done, and you walk, get up in the speech, doing a speech. I appreciate everyone for what you've done. He says to the whole crowd, but he means just a few, right? Because some of you, some people have done nothing for this person, right? <laughs> so this is like what Paul is referring to. He's referring to them as babies, but not all of them, but apparently, obviously, to some of them. Um, and secondly, spiritual grace, and this is uh, by one commentator, spiritual grace and spiritual gifts are two different things. And I'll talk about that a little later. So then, the other question is then, if they're not Christian, so they're not Christian is the question. Are these people not Christians? And I think the tagging of Christians is really abused and watered down. Nowadays, everybody, if you go to church and you've been to church once, and you like to be related to some kind of religion, you say you're Christian, right? You I mean, 70% of Americans call themselves Christians. Not that many people go to church, right? We know that's not true. So, Christ, word that's tagging word Christian is really watered out and abused, right? Um, and, you know, but people don't like to tell them off that they're not Christians. You go to a lot of churches, and I read books, and they're, oh, you know, you can't tell people they're not Christian. Because they're... Careful, they're being careful, but I'm not shy of people telling people they're not Christians. I actually don't really like that term Christian because it's so genetic, so watered out. What I like is I like to call people, are you, ask people, are you following Jesus? And that's what I like. I like to say, are you Christ? Because Christian actually means Christ like. That means you are like Jesus. Obviously, some people who call themselves Christians are not at all like Jesus. So, real, I think the call is, are you Christ, follower of Christ, or Jesus freak? Christian, in the first century, was basically antagonizing name for Christians as a Jesus freak. Can you call yourself Jesus freak? Or follower of Christ? Then, you may be Christians, right? Because it means that you're directed and led by Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. You are, as Paul says here in Greek word, pneumatikos, spiritual. Or are you sarkinois, which is of the flesh, or sarkikoi, flesh-ish. Or another word in verse, verse 3 is kata anthropon, which is human inclination. Behaving according to human inclination, it literally means walking around with the direction of your human inclination. Or anthropoi, you're merely human. You're just, there's nothing godly about you, you're just human. So, what does by the flesh, being the of the flesh mean? If someone tells you that, oh, you're so worldly, you're like just men, what does it mean? It's not saying that you're lacking in biblical knowledge and church experience. That's not about that. It's not about sexual sin, because, you know, flesh. <laughs> you're of the flesh doesn't mean anything of you know, lust or sexual sin. Um, 
of the flesh means what leads to, whatever that is, it leads to jealousy and strife, ultimately division in the church. So living as led and directed by your own desire, your flesh, social expectation and human inclination, the sinful nature, which is self-serving and self-centered, that's what it means to be of the flesh, right? Not living as led and directed by the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit, which is Jesus, is not divided, as Paul said. It's Jesus divided. No. Your maturity, if you are not of the flesh, your spiritual, your maturity leads to peace and unity. So, it's a matter of who's in charge. When Paul's talking about flesh and spiritual, are you led by yourself or are you led by Spirit of God? But that's pretty much everything that you knew. I just explained everything that you already knew. Maybe you know a little better. So the question is, so what? We already know about this. On the back of your um, sermon guide, I put a really a, a book that I've been wanting to read, and I finally be on vacation. <laughs> so I got to read a little bit of the book. Um, it's one of the books that I've been really wanting to read. Um, it's by Andrew Murray. He's a very well-known author and <coughs> theologian. He's from early 19th century. Uh, he wrote this book. It's called Masters in Dwelling. I would recommend you, if you have time this summer, to go ahead and read it. It's about the living by the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. Um, by the way, he's disliked by modern theologians or you know church people because he say, oh, he's leveling the Christian end differently. But he gets it right. And we see that he gets to the words that Paul has referred here. Now, he has four marks of carnal state, which is the of the flesh. Number one, this is how you know. Like, am I of the flesh? Am I worldly? Number one, you're childish. You're childness-like. Because a child cannot help himself or herself, always keeping others occupied to serve him. If you have a kid, you're on full-time, 24-7. Because that child requires you always. If you, if you are childish and not mature, that means you need other people all the time to serve you, help you. You can't do anything for yourself. It's, it's, this is true to old people. There are a lot of old people who are immature, so they require people to serve them all the time. They can't do anything for themselves. Everything needs to be provided, right? They can't help himself. Others have to serve that person all the time. Now, on the other hand, spiritual person, even at young age, isn't like a child. I've seen kids who are concerned about others, who say, oh, I'm sorry that you have to do this for me. They're grateful, wants to help others, serve others. You know, Esther had a, a, a niece or nephew that um, passed away by illness, and the whole time he's ill and in pain, he was telling people, I'm sorry you have to go through this because of me. That kid is spiritual. He's not immature. He's not a baby. He's not a child. So it's not the difference of... It's, it doesn't tell the age of a person, but are you childish? Or are you spiritual, mature? Are you serving or seeking to be served by others? That's how you can tell. People of the flesh, even if they're old and successful, they're desiring to be served. People of spirit, they're looking to serve others. Number two, he says, it's sin and failure. 
is shown continually. You like Corinthians, there's a hatred, there's envy, there's lack of love, and self praise. It's evident. Then you are worldly. Uh, now, just because you're spiritual doesn't mean that you don't have sin. We all sin. Um, because we struggle, but we are growing in Christ. But here, the sin is constant. And it's, it's just obvious. Number three, the grace of Spirit and gift of Spirit. What he's saying is, um, graces of Spirit is humility and love. Being like Christ. It's free from your self-centeredness, so you are fit to work for others. When you are focused on yourself, you can serve others. Because you only look at yourself. You're not seeing other people's needs. Graces of Spirit allow us to be and transform us to have the humility and love like Christ. Uh, not because there's no struggle, because we're still in flesh, but the Spirit has taken the dominions, dominance over us, and Spirit is sanctifying our desire of flesh. Now, the other one is, the difference is, you may, you don't have, you may have gifts of Spirit and not have graces of Spirit. Gifts of Spirit is what Paul explains here in chapter 1, chapter 12 and 14. And there are people that work in the ministry, there are pastors who do things, who speaks well, who leads large church. They have gifts. But gifts of the Spirit and graces of Spirit are two different things. This is why they falter, they fall, they lead, they do it for the work and because they have the gift. These are two different things. And Paul is referring to, do you have the Spirit? means graces of Spirit. Number four, the signs of being of the uh, flesh is you're unfit for receiving spiritual truth. This is basically what Paul is saying, right? You don't get the cross. When there's a message of the cross, you hear about the cross, you hear about Jesus and the cross, and it affects you. It doesn't affect you. It means nothing to you because you don't get it. Now, you can be at church... You admire the teaching, you understand it, and you rejoice and have fun doing ministry and, and, and really are in it, yet your life isn't changed because you don't get it. You don't get the cross, even though you're here. So he also doesn't stop you. He says, well then, how can I become spiritual? Is there a trick to it? He gives four, Andrew, Murray, says, one, we must know about spiritual life to be lived by. What it means is we need to study. Know that there's a spiritual life to live by and know that we can have it. That's why in Life Life we have Bible studies. Because you got to first know about it to know what you want, what you desire, and how to get there and how to see yourself in it, right? You've got to believe that you can get there. Number two, he says, see and admit having lived such life, that you lived life of the flesh. You've got to recognize that what I'm living, my life is different than being of the Spirit. Number three, know, the, know that it's a one-step thing. Maturity of spiritual life takes growth. This leap from flesh to spiritual is one step. It happens like that. It's not, you can't grow into it. Some people misunderstand that, well, if I'm at church all the time, I'll grow into salvation. It does, you don't grow into it. And we, Nazarenes especially, believe in that. We believe in second, the entire sanctification, the second birth. It happens like that. You receive the Spirit and you are changed. All of a sudden, there's 
something going on in you that it's just weird. Because you get the cross. It's a one-step thing. Number four, he says, well, then you got to take this step. God initiates, has given us gift of the Spirit. You have to receive it. Just because it's not there doesn't mean that we get it. So, again, all of this stuff, the stuff that he's talked about, you already knew. <laughs> you heard about this stuff, right? But here's what Paul is really saying. We're almost done. I'm closing with this. Here's what Paul is really saying. In verse 11, he, he says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. For Paul, he's very clear at this. Only foundation possible was Jesus. And he's talking about building. And for this building, no other foundation was possible. No church program, no events, no lessons, life lessons, no spiritual thing, yoga, anything. It's only Jesus. He says Jesus is only foundation of the building that he's building, right? And the foundation that Paul refers is in this verse here, Isaiah chapter 20, verse 14. It says, See, I'm laying a Zion, a foundation stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. One who trusts will not panic. Now, you heard this. We sang about this today. <laughs> and you wonder, why do, why do I call Jesus foundation? Oh, it must be because he has to be the basis of things. There's more to this. I'm, I'm going to explain to you. I got to know about this too. Here's what Paul is saying when Jesus is a foundation. When Israel came back from exile and they got to the, uh, Jerusalem, they wanted to rebuild the temple. The temple was destroyed by Babylonia. They were rebuilding the temple. They came to the temple site. They had to go through the rubble, right? clean out the stones and everything. Now, when they got to the site of the temple, when it's holy of holies, they removed it. They, they removed the ark. Where the ark of covenant and the holy, the center of the holy of the holies was a stone that is raised about this high. And it's a stone when the high priest came every year, once a year, on the day of atonement, he would bring the fire pan that was for the atonement, he would bring it into the Holy of Holies and lay, place the fire pan here on this stone. And this stone in Hebrew is called Shtia, which means the foundation. So Paul is referring to this stone in Holy of Holies when God resided, that Jesus is this stone where we lay down our atonement. That's what it means by foundation. Jesus as the foundation of the new temple and the center of the Holy of Holies. So the foundation is in place in verse 11. Now you look at verse 16, which is the opposing part. This building that Paul is talking about building, right, is already God's temple. Verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Temple is somewhat finished and the Spirit has taken up residence in it already, which is crazy for Paul to refer to these people as God's temple because they're messy. And he calls this and he says, The temple is up and running. And all you needed in this temple, which is us, he says, You are God's temple. And what do we need to be God's temple? It's up and running. Jesus. The cross. Again, Paul is saying, it's the cross. 
All we need is the foundation for the Spirit to take residence, and that is the cross. It's the cross. So whether you find yourself not really getting the whole message of the cross, whether you you get it, but you're still you, you still struggle with your self-centeredness, that self-serving, you struggle because there's Spirit of God and it's colliding with your flesh, and or whether you are growing, firmly growing, and being sanctified by your flesh, the place we got to go is the cross. At the cross, everything you believe shatters. It's gone. It's destroyed. It makes no sense. Everything you thought upon yourself, everything you believe the world to be, your relationships, anything you believe and hold dear, destroyed. It makes no sense. And there's God. There's Jesus. It shatters. We have got to go to the cross. And I don't think we go often enough. We just don't go there often enough. And we really don't go there. We, If you're struggling, you want to grow, you want to believe in this thing, but you can't. You're struggling. There's only one place. You have got to go to the cross. You have to, got to go to the cross and surrender. Actually, if you, if you can really see the cross, you can't help yourself but just surrender yourself. Because that is God's wisdom and power. And we realize we're nothing if we really see the cross. You know, someone save you, rescue you from dying, like someone gave you an organ, you were dying and someone gave you an organ. Or you were drowning and someone came and rescued you. Right? Do you need any more incentive to be friend with this person? <laughs> to serve this person? You don't, right? If you're seeking and you want more things from God, we just haven't got the cross. We just haven't understood what the cross offered. We just haven't got the grasp. And that is the foundation of the gospel. It's the cross. We need more of the cross. And cross would change us. Let me pray. I ask you to bow your heads and reflect on where you are spiritually. You probably have heard enough about the cross, but does it mean anything to you? Do you want to believe it? Do you want it to make more difference in your lives? Think on the cross. And ask God to help you to receive it. Because it's there, we want to receive it. So that we can, we can take off from this flesh and live by the Spirit. Father, we pray... That the message we hear all the time will have a fresh meaning and we will chase after knowing more about the cross because that's what matters. That's where you are. That's where we find you. That's where we get to know you the most. So I pray that all of us would go to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.